Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. Um, you know, it's funny. I say to my wife all the time, it's, I, I prepare a lot to do this. But the funniest thing is when I sit there beforehand, I forget everything I'm going to say. It's like just a blank slate. And so I hope I remember it all. Now, I will. I think I will. Um, so it's Palm Sunday. And what's interesting about our, this year is that we are not reading the traditional, I guess, Palm Sunday passage. We're actually further into the week, which I think actually makes some sense to me because the people as Jesus entering the city, are super excited, right? The Lord saves. You know, all these, uh, Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king has come. This is it. This is going to be great. But Jesus, who's entering the city, I think is thinking something different. He knows what's coming, not only in that week, but he knows what's coming for that city. So he knows it's going to be destroyed. He knows the destruction that's coming. So I actually kind of think that, you know, caring about tension, I wonder what Jesus felt as he entered a city with thousands of people cheering him on. Because you know, who killed Jesus? Was it the people who came with him? It was these chief priests. It was a small group of really powerful people who wanted to kill Jesus. The people love Jesus, right? And they're so excited. The king's coming. But he knows what's going to happen. So there's this tension today. So I think our passage is actually perfect. So we're going to be in the garden today. If you've gone to church, you know what happens in the garden, right? So what I want to do to start is I actually want to read this twice. I'm going to read it once kind of quickly, just kind of let it settle in. I'm going to read it one more time. I want to read it a little bit in the way I think maybe it might have been said. All right? So we're going to be in uh, Mark 14. It's 32 through 36. It's a really short passage, but there is a lot in here, and we're not even going to get to all of it. So you can turn your pages if you want. You can open your phone if you want. I'll give you a second. I always go too fast. I talk kind of fast. I move kind of fast. So, all right. Mark 14, 32. So they, that's the disciples and Jesus, went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. That is important for today. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. One more time. And you know, it's funny, if you've been to church, you've heard this, right? Who all has heard this before, right? Probably, most of us probably have. So it's good, but sometimes it's not good. Because I read it really quickly, and I'm just like getting information out of it, right? So I wanted to kind of more so close our eyes and just kind of let's just take a beat. And let's imagine what this might have looked like. Imagine you could see Jesus in this garden. Imagine this conversation. So maybe just close your eyes. I'm going to read it one more time. So they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me.
yet not what I will, but what you will. People of God, this is the word of God. You know, it's fine. I never caught that. You've been in conversation with God before? In a hard thing? And you ask? Do you just jump on the next part? Say, it's fine, God, do whatever you want. I don't. I miss, I wonder how long that space was. How long after he said, take this cup from me, did Jesus lay on his face? I just move through the text, and I miss the humanity of Jesus. Fully God, fully man. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So I feel like I've been saying this a lot in this series, but I feel like every, every thing we talk about here is tough. Like, it's hard things. This gospel is hard for me. I'm not sure if it's just me. So the title of today's chapter is The Cup. That's from Tim Keller's book called Jesus the King. And if you have not read it, I would recommend it. Get it for next Easter if you want, if you don't want to read it now. It is so good, so accessible. I love Tim Keller. I'm, that's my plug for him. I'll buy it for you if you want. I think we've got a book budget somewhere. So when I think of a cup, the cup, what's the first thing you think of when you think about a cup? I think about a drink, right? So I want to for a minute, so my, 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 my sentence for today is, uh, if I could say one thing, is a drink from a deep well, okay? And I'll get to why that is shortly, but... So I'll, I'll start here. So a drink from a deep, a deep well. To say what Jesus says, to be in the hardest thing you've ever been in, and to have the ability to say, I trust you so much, God, that I will, whatever you want is what I want. To get to that place, I think you have to have a really deep well with water in it that you can drink from when you desperately need it. I did a lot of research on wells recently. I don't know anything about wells, but you know, shallow wells aren't always so great. You want deeper wells. Did you know the deepest well ever hand dug is the depth of the Empire State Building? Hand dug. That is crazy. It took forever. But you need to have a deep well because when the water is down deep, generally it's safer. It's there. If the water's in the shallows, it, it can get polluted and contaminated. It can be zapped by the sun. Bad things happen with water on the surface. It's much safer down deep. So I've been thinking about this for Jesus to say, he's because he's, it's so hard. He's God, but he's also a person, right? It's such a weird thing to understand. To get to the point where you could say that, you had to have dug over time a really, really deep well. So no matter what happens, you can draw from it when you need it the most. So my sentence for today is a drink from a deep, from a deep well. But I want to think for just a minute here about when you were really thirsty. You know, it's funny. Uh, um, I want you to think of a time, if you can, when you were super thirsty, like like to the point where like your tongue starts to swell and you feel kind of lethargic. I got a couple stories. I'll share them with you. I want you to think for a moment. When were you really thirsty for a drink? How did it feel? When did it happen? So I've been thinking about this for a while. So I have stories that come right to my mind. But so I was in the seventh grade, really, really thirsty. Okay. Really need a drink. And it's funny. Every time I talk about this, I get really thirsty. I, all weekend, I just feel like my tongue is swollen. Like I just, I'm thirsty all the time right now. I should have some water. 
I was in seventh grade, though, and I was playing football, and I was been right across the street. And uh, when I was growing up, not sure about coaches, when I would ever, a coach would say, whenever you walk by a drinking fountain, Clayton, get a drink all day. It's September, it's hot, and I think must have forgot that day. I was an offensive lineman at the time. I was a guard. And uh, after practice, they actually shut the doors to the locker, to the, the gym, so you can't get a drink. So it's super hot practice. I'm exhausted. You can't get a drink. And I had to walk, I think, to my uncle's house, which is like a ways away. And I mean, I, I remember this feeling. Seventh grade. That's 25 years ago. That's a, it's 25 years ago. That's a long time. And I was so thirsty, I could feel it in my chest. Like I was just, I was just, I mean, I could imagine, you know when you have a drink of, of water and you're really thirsty, it tastes so good, you feel like you can't stop drinking it. it was, I was just thinking about that and I was walking so slow because I was just, you don't have water, you can't move. Your body doesn't work properly. You can't talk. You can hardly think. I was so thirsty. At another time, I was in college and a teammate of mine, uh, we had a long workout. You know, we had to lift, we had to play, and we had to run a ton of sprints to the back end. And we're running, and you think at the end of a three-hour workout, you'd be drenched in sweat, right? My teammate, we're running, and we get down the sprint, he just falls on the ground. I was like, oh, that's not good. We run over to him and check him out, and his skin is bone dry. No water. We're like, now that has got to be really bad, right? So we ran, got the trainers, got him back, but he was so thirsty, his body actually totally cramped up. He could not move. He didn't have any water. When was a time you were really thirsty? Because they were talking about a cup. And to understand, so Jesus' cup, very different than the cup that he is offering to us. What we're working our way to this weekend. So what he's going to drink is different. But I think for, for our drink this weekend on Easter Sunday to be really good, we have to be really thirsty. All right? Talk about a cup. We need a drink from a deep well. Sound good? So I want to think real quick, too. I just, you know, I'm always thinking, uh, who's receiving this letter? Do you remember? You heard the passage. Do you remember who's getting this? It's this church in Rome, right? What's happening in Rome about this time period, 65, 75 AD? What's happening? The church is being persecuted like crazy. They're being uh, covered in animal skins, sewn to feral dogs. They're being impaled on poles and lists, torches. They're being thrown to lions and coliseums. Life is about as bad as it gets. Think about who Mark's writing to and think about this passage as far as who's getting it. Would they maybe say things like, everything is possible for you, God. Every, don't, do we have to go to, does this have to happen? Is this the way it has to be? How comforting would it be, I don't know if it's comforting or not, to know that your Savior, the one you believe in, asks this exact same question as you. But then his response think that would encourage you? Who's receiving this letter? Worst of the worst. So, so interesting to me about, especially in church history, is that, so this Jesus that we're reading about doesn't, he's been unflappable so far, right? For every question, he's got a question. He's ready for everything. He, nothing surprises him. And something happens right here in this passage that seems to surprise him, right? He is overwhelmed to the point of death. He is shocked. Is that how we like to think of our, our heroes? Is that the kind of stories that we're, that we're told? Normally not, right? Actually, there's people in church history who I think had a similar moment to Jesus. We don't get to hear about it. But so there's this guy named Polycarp, right? Early church. He's a disciple of John. He's the bishop over a whole area. He's famous. People love him. He's in his 80s. The magistrate comes to him and says, I'm going to kill you. 
I will not kill you in front of a lot of people if you just say, man, this Jesus stuff is stupid. I'm wrong. Just say that. That's it. And I won't kill you. You know what Polycarp said to him? He said, uh, let's see, the fire you threaten burns but an hour and is quenched after a little. You do not know the fire of coming judgment. So why do you delay? Come do what you will. That's the kind of person I think of who's like, got, they got it together. They got their faith. They're, they're, they're going to rage against the world. Nothing can shake them. Nothing can shake them. Nothing's going to happen to them. That's who I imagine. There's another story. Uh, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, they're in England, 1555. They're going to be burned at the stake together. Famous story. Just as they're getting ready, they're lighting the fires at their feet. They heard Mr. Latimer say this, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall see this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust it shall never be put out. That's the kind of person I think of when I think about standing up for my faith, just bulletproof, right? But Jesus isn't bulletproof, at least not right now. Something's going on. And it's a weird thing. Like, it's weird to understand and wrestle with. I mean, shortly after, I think Jesus is bulletproof, right? At the end of the garden scene, what does he do? He says, rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus is back. But for a moment, isn't it so interesting that Mark and Peter let us see a different Jesus than I would normally think of? Why would he do that? Perhaps it's, you know, yep, we keep going. So water from a deep well. I just want to work through the passage line by line, and I'm just going to call out stuff that I think is interesting, right? I mean, I gotta, we got to get better at reading our Bible. Just, it, it, it's interesting. There's a lot of stuff in here that I'm like, wow, that's crazy. That's what we're going to do, and I'm going to tell a story at the end, all right? But we're thinking all day today. I want you to be thinking. So Jesus says, not what I will, yet not what I will, but what you will. So I think to do that, you have to have water in a deep well, and I think to get a deep well it takes a long time. It's a lot of walking with Jesus, a lot of walking with God and the Holy Spirit, okay? We're going to get to that. So let's start reading. Sorry, I'm all over the place. They went to a place called Gethsemane. So stop real fast there. Jesus said to his disciples, so the Gethsemane, the garden, is a familiar place. A lot of scholars think Jesus went there a lot. It's called the Mount of Olives. And uh, it's a place that they, they probably knew the person who owned it. So in my mind, I've always envisioned this huge garden, like massive, Right? Hold on. Can you have that picture? Do we have it? I think maybe. We're trying to figure. All right. So I'm just going to walk over here because it's kind of far. So the, the garden is, so there's a church. That's a church of all nations. The garden is contained in that wall, they think. That is the garden. They think it's probably, like, if I got my math right, it's like 25 yards on a football field. Ish. It's not very big, right? I always thought it was this massive place that Jesus, like, Drops off some people at the front. He walks in like a half mile. He drops off the next three and he walks like another half mile. They're all right next to each other, essentially. That's different than I thought. So if that's the case, I've always thought Jesus like was by himself. But if it's that small, I mean, everybody can kind of hear everybody, right? They're all kind of together, which makes it seem a little bit different. Let's keep going. So sit here while I pray. I'm coming back to that. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began, and he began deeply distressed and troubled. So they moved a little bit further in. So dropped off some people at the front. They're a little bit inside. Deeply distressed. Jesus knew all along he would die, right? 
We've read those several times. You've been talking about it. I'm going to die. You know what I have to do. He gets really detailed, actually, about what is going to happen. Suddenly, I said before, what does Jesus see? What does Jesus experience? He's unflappable. What happens in this place? I've been asking myself this. What happens where now all of a sudden he's like, whoa, what is going to happen? So, deeply distressed, that's you are astonished. Jesus is stunned. Troubled means to be overcome with horror. Tim Keller says it's that feeling when you see something so disturbing, so gross, so troubling that you are actually sick to your stomach. I'm not sure about you, but I was watching, I was watching when Russia was invading Ukraine. I, th- I just sat there all weekend. I just felt sick. I, felt, I just felt sick. There's moments in life where things have happened in my life and it just, I've just felt sick. That's how Jesus feels. What he sees is so troubling. It is so stunning that he is actually physically sick to his stomach. Wow. It's different than Jesus I normally think of. His soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. So he turns to his disciples and he says, stay here and keep watch. Now, I think that's an interesting statement. Watch for what? Does Jesus know who's coming? He knows Judas is coming. Who are they watching for? Watch. What are they watching for? In different ones, it says to watch for temptation. You know, this is really interesting to me. Um, Sin is crouching at your door. So here's these disciples. Jesus knows what's coming. Don't fall into temptation. Watch. Be alert. Why? Because sin is crouching at your door. I thought of like Cain and Abel. It's just waiting for you. You know, it's fascinating to me, especially in regards to Peter, is that, did you ever think about this? So we always think of Judas as the betrayer in this story, right? They talk about it all the time. Constantly saying, Judas the betrayer, Judas the betrayer, Judas the betrayer. I was listening to someone talk about this. They said, why do they keep saying that? It's pretty obvious to me that Judas is the betrayer. Why do they keep saying he's the betrayer? The person said, because if you grew up, if you were in the rabbinical system, if you understood what a disciple actually was, and you told this whole story of Jesus to a bunch of disciples, you want who they would say would be the the betrayer? Peter. Judas was misguided. Judas thought, this person saying, he thought he's trying to bring the kingdom. Like he's a zealot. He wants the kingdom to come. He's trying to push Jesus a certain direction. He said, but Peter disowned his rabbi to his face. Peter was also the betrayer. Interesting, we could jump ahead really fast. At the very end, when the angel comes to say, Jesus is alive, go tell everyone. What does he say? Go tell his disciples and Peter. Why would he say and Peter? Peter doesn't think he's a disciple anymore. He thinks he blew it. He thinks he blew it. I betrayed my best friend to his face. I'm out. I'm done. He doesn't want me. I've been disowned. The angel comes and says, tell all disciples, Peter too. So I think maybe perhaps, yes, keep watch. Don't fall into temptation. You know what's coming. I know what's coming. You don't know what's coming. That was such a, just an aha for me. Whoa. 
And then you have the story of these two different people who decide very different things with their betrayal. One thinks he cannot be forgiven and it ends horribly. The other one, he tries and he gets forgiven and he becomes Peter. Isn't that something? I never caught that. That was fascinating to me. Keep watch, you won't fall into, temp- into temptation. Get back here. Sorry, we're going to keep going. Uh, going a little further, he falls to the ground and prays that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, that's his native tongue, Father. Everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. So the cup, right, is judgment. It's divine judgment. So whatever Jesus sees in this cup, whatever, so I've been trying to think, okay, I'm just letting you in. Just, my mind just runs around when I'm preparing for a sermon. I've been imagining me in the cup. You know, Tim Keller goes on to write, if you, so justice, injustice has to have justice. There's things that are evil in this world that need to be made right, right? I'm a part of, I think I'm made in God's image. There's some good things, but there's a lot of really bad things. So what I've been doing for the past weeks is recognizing all of my stuff in that cup. All the things I've done to hurt and to harm. All the things I've done to sever relationships. That's what God wants. Jesus wants. He wants right relationships. All the things I have done. I've just been sitting with some of them on purpose. Because I think if I sit with them, if I understand what, what's in the cup, what I have done to, to be a part of that cup, on Easter Sunday, and when I recognize that I'm forgiven, I think it's actually very freeing. If you don't think that God can be wrathful, if you don't think that God can get angry, Tim Keller says, and you don't know how valuable you are. He says, when you love someone, when you love someone and they make bad choices and they're harming themselves and they're doing things, you get angry. Why? Man, because you love them so much. There's this, so God loves and when, when things are broken, he gets, I mean, he gets angry. There's wrath. Things have to be fixed. And for some reason right now, I th- we seem to think that we don't really want a God who loves, who just loves. And he does. But we miss out on just his, how much he loves us then, right? If he wouldn't, if he's just a God of love, right, then why would he have to go to the cross in the first place? I was chatting with somebody the other day, and they said, why do, why do we have to, like, why, why can't people just choose to follow Jesus because it's just a better way of life, right? It's just better. Like, because what he asks you to do is so hard. It requires so much sacrifice to love someone. It is, life is super tricky, right? It is very challenging. And if he's just love, if he, you have to understand the sacrifice. So we have to understand what's in Jesus' cup so we can have the new cup. Because what? We want to drink from a deep well. When I recognize what's in the cup, I, then I can forgive and I can extend mercy because I've been forgiven. I've gotten mercy. People sacrifice for me, I'll sacrifice for you. When I understand what he's done, then I do the same thing. I cannot give what I have not received. That's why if I don't think God had to sacrifice for me, then I can't really sacrifice for someone else, right? I give what I receive. That makes so much sense to me. So what, why is Jesus so... So... <laughs> 
take this cup from me. What's going to happen? Jesus, this relationship that has been going on forever. We talk about the circle of love all the time in this church, father, son, and spirit. It is going to be severed. They have been together for all time. And for a while, they are going to be removed from each other. It's only three days. So it said to me, so, I, mean, it's, it, I mean, I thought about that. That's a great, it's only three days. What is the level of love? What is the level of relationship? I don't know. I don't understand. But I've, I've experienced, and I bet a lot of people in this room have experienced, when you lose a person in this life, they are ripped from you. You have the hope of heaven. It does not matter. It is still, I mean, it does matter. <laughs> Take that back. I kind of get it. Kind of. We're already in eternal life. I know that. There's going to be eternal life. I know that. But when you lose someone in this life, just, I'm like, oh, I can't imagine what Jesus felt when he knew that his father, he, I'm trying to imagine the silence after he said, take this cup from me. Don't, please. How must have I prayed those kinds of prayers? Sometimes he answers them. Sometimes he does not. Contend God. Rise up. Do something for me. Please take this cup from me. I don't want it. To be ripped apart. I get it, kind of. It's different, but I kind of get it now. And that's an experience that we all will share. That's all of us. So I've been... <laughs> so Jesus' response, though, after the silence, I wonder how long that was. Okay. Yet. Yet. Not what I will, but what you will. How can he say that? I think it goes back to what Jesus said at the very beginning. In 32, Jesus said, sit here while I pray. Jesus, if you've been paying attention, I think, I've counted 13 times, about once a chapter, Jesus goes away to be the Father and Spirit. He is constantly going away to be in relationship with the Father and Spirit. He, in John's Gospel, he talks about how he doesn't do anything on his own. So everything he does is with the Father. Everything he does. He's constantly with him. Which got me thinking about the prayer we pray here every single week. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. That's like big stuff, right? Kingdom here. Heaven comes here, we don't go there, right? Get it. Then it's so interesting, the prayer shifts. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a big change, right? Kingdom of God, daily bread. Why would he say that? I think, because Jesus knows, if you ask for daily bread over and over and over, and God provides daily bread over and over and over, then when you get to these moments, you have dug a deep well. Every day, a little more, 
a little more, and you have water that is safely guarded underwater. And when that day comes, you know, God, I don't know how, but we're going to trust you. You have a drink. Living water. So I want to read a story. I'm going to read a story. I'm not going to tell you the ending, just so you know. This book's called uh, God on You. Okay? And today's kind of heavy. I'm sorry, but it is. But it's also hopeful. Hosanna, because of what he did. Okay? It's, it's just this, there's just this tension. And I, I, I love, we need to be able to live in the tension. We have to. We have to learn to. Right? To be in the middle. To pull people from both sides in our world into this middle. We have to be able to hold the tension. So I'll read this story. It's called God on Mute. It's by a guy named Pete Gregg. And he writes about this guy named uh, Floyd McClung. And Floyd is a person who has traveled the world being a missionary. He has been a missionary in Afghanistan. He's been a missionary in the Red Light District. He actually said he actually created a home church between a, uh, uh, a sex shop and a Satanist temple. That's where he was. He's been on the front lines all over the world for the kingdom, always. So Floyd's going to speak at a conference. And before the conference happens, right before, Floyd has a daughter who's going to have a second child. She has an amniotic embolism. And they don't know if anyone's going to live. Not sure what's going to happen. He's 5,000 miles away. This is a while ago. There's not much he can do. He can't just stop on the flight and go back. So he gets all of this news. This is what happens. I'm just going to read it for you. The next day, Floyd disappeared for a long time. We were all worried. And when he eventually reappeared, he looked older, pale, and drawn. He said that he wanted to be with me because he knew I had been through something similar with Sammy. That's Pete's wife. And sure what to say, I just asked Floyd where he'd been all day. He looked at me sadly and paused. Walking, he said eventually. I've been walking on the beach. I've been wrestling with God, trying to pray for Misha. That was his daughter. He studied my face. I got the impression he was trying to decide whether to tell me any more. It felt awkward. Pete, he said softly. Sally and I used to have a very good friend called Corey Ten Boom. You heard of her? I nodded. I had grown up with the sweet tales of the Dutch old lady who had rescued Jews, the Nazis, and before being in prison with her sister in the concentration camp. Pete, when Corey was dying, she prayed an amazing prayer. Floyd was speaking quietly. Corey prayed that God would do whatever would bring the most glory to his name. She told him if that would bring him glory to heal her so she could continue her ministry, then yes, she wanted to be healed. But she also told God that if it would bring him greater glory, if she died and went to be with him, she would surrender to that too. Floyd paused, and I could see the strain on his face. I went to the beach today because I realized that I needed to get myself to a place where I could pray that same prayer for Misha. I've been begging God for my daughter's life, as any father would. I've been reminding him of the unfulfilled promises over her future. But I also knew I had to give her back to God. If it's somehow going to bring God more glory to take her home, his voice trailed away. He was sallow, 
Everything seemed gray. His hair was scruffy from the wind on the beach. The atmosphere in the room seemed heavy with a great and exhausting sadness. I guess you might say that it felt holy. Everything is possible. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I think to be able to do that, and I don't know how you, can't just know you're going to do that. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the action step. There are things, places you need him today, in your family today. I don't pray for things in the future very often. I ask people, how can I pray for you today? Because I believe in a God who cares about today. I believe in a God who's with you today. And he wants you to know he's with you today. And then over time, as you know, he's with me and he loves me. He is for me. He's, he's, I feel his presence because I ask every day for his presence. Then in those moments, we can just simply say, I trust you and deal with it. So I'm going to bite the band up. I, uh, It's funny when you start looking for a word in the Bible, you find it everywhere. Man, this cup is all over the place. I'm just going to read this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear evil because God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He repairs a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. What's the next line? My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.